Welcome to New Cheer Performing Arts Stories. I'm Dwayne Burkhard. Well, folks, it's become almost normal this season for us to have another week and another New Trier graduate who went on to a stunning Hollywood career. But this week's guest has done that in a pretty unique and fun way. Rusty Schwimmer has appeared in TV shows like Gilmore Girls, The Guardian, Picket Fences, and Six Feet Under, and in films including Twister, Ed TV, The Perfect Storm, and Runaway Jury. More importantly, though, she is also one of the most universally liked actresses to come out of Nutrier in her time, and we are delighted to have her here today. Rusty, welcome to Nutrier Performing Art Stories. Oh, Dwayne, that is lovely what you just said. And I'll give you the $50 later. So. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start you with kind of a softball question. That leads me into my first question. And it's the same question that I asked Mary Ryan when I had her on the show last year. When I was in the formation and creation stage for this podcast, I spoke with a lot of my peers about a, a lot of different things. But one of the questions I always asked was, who should be on the show? And I got a lot of answers. But two names kept coming up over and over. One was, of course, Mary. Yeah. The other one was yours. So I will ask you what I asked her. Why do you think that is? I think it's because I'm a girl named Rusty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's number one. Uh, number two, I think in the performing arts department, which I always called the land of misfit toys. I <laughs> For good was, reason. Yep, exactly. I think I was even more of a misfit toy in the land of misfit toys. And so it was easier to remember me, I think, just because of my name and the fact that I was not your typical North Shore kid. Well, you were certainly not that, and you're certainly not that on, on stage or anywhere you appear. You're one of the people that I've seen perform who has presence it's a, a an animation and a presence and a feel it excites people when they see you and i think that's i'll add that to my list of reasons so oh thank you so you studied obviously with suzanne adams as we all did and yep. you went on to work with ted liss who worked with her but go ahead and tell me how that led into your career in performing arts well first of all when suzanne was teaching us, I think that her curriculum was very, very similar to Ted's. So when we, and I say we, which is also Virginia Madsen, Jean Campbell, Ann Trompeter, Carla Rigolin, James Schneider, mm -hmm. when we were at Ted's, we were by far the youngest ones there because before us, he wasn't allowing anyone, I think, under the age of 21 because his discipline was so intense. But because he knew that we studied with Suzanne, we were all allowed to study there. And that then led to a love and respect for theater, the history, sociology, psychology of what we needed to learn to be in the theater. And that led to pretty much a confidence that I was trained enough to get out there in the world and, and try it. And so you start trying it and you end up at a club called Limelight. Is that the name yeah. of the club? Yeah. Yeah. Tell, and, the Limelight. And yeah. The Limelight. 
And were you and you started off your career as a as a singer? Is that correct? Yes, my father is a jazz musician. And strangely enough, when I was in swing choir my senior year, David Bachman decided to make it jazz. And so I just kind of went right in because I would listen to jazz every day. So this leads you into, and I got to hear how this happened, but I'm going to tell you first the strangest thing. The very first time I remember seeing you after graduation was when I was a sophomore at the University of Missouri, Columbia. And I'm in the dorm TV room and I'm watching a Chicago Bears game. Yes. And lo and behold, on the sidelines is Rusty Schwimmer as (laughs) one of the refrigerettes. You were one of the cheerleaders for William the Refrigerator Perry the Super Bowl year. That is correct. How on earth did that happen? Well, first of all, at that time, and thank God it's gotten better, at that time, in terms of being in the entertainment industry, to be, as I call it, the more abundant woman (laughs) was always something that was either frowned uh, upon in the entertainment industry where they didn't want to show fat people um, on screen, or if they did, they would make that the joke or a sight gag per se. And so there weren't a lot of auditions for people that looked like me in the 80s. But then there was this one audition and it was for the refrigerettes. At first, it was just kind of this funny kind of cool thing. Ed DeBevick's The 50s Diner was celebrating its first anniversary. And so I auditioned for it and got in and there were eight of us and we performed that one night, which was sometime in, I think, November. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, it was right before the Fridge's birthday. He was a Sagittarius, (laughs) Um, but... (laughs) (laughs) And so it just, for some reason at the time, oh, it was because Mayor Washington, Mayor Harold Washington, Mm. or as we called him, Mayor Hal, he just fell in love with us. And so he started having us appear with him at publicity events when he was making bets with other cities for playoffs. And it just absolutely snowballed into this huge, huge snowball. You guys were legitimately popular in the city. I remember this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I almost died in the victory parade. Yes, I almost did. Really? Oh, well, it was 80 below when chill factor. Right. Of course. They decided to put it on LaSalle because of the ticker tape. And so everybody could throw all their actual ticker tape out the window. But it was so narrow that no everybody couldn't fit it didn't matter that it was 80 below wind chill factor everybody wanted to be there right the entire city right and so uh, it was so cold that all of a sudden the bears their wives the coaches their wives the honey bears all of them were in buses and nobody could really see them well here we are the refrigerates because we were kind of you know fringe of the bears we're just walking and we're going to be in the parade. Oh. And all of a sudden, someone yells, refrigerates. <laughs> and I'll never forget, everybody turns and starts going towards us. And people were grabbing at us and all sorts of things. This is when I learned about my fight or flight. I am indeed fight. 
<laughs> and I started just throwing my arms out and just punching everybody out of my way to try to get in to the middle to get on a bus. This, not surprisingly, this was not part of the television coverage. <laughs> no, it, it, it was not. And no one was doing a documentary on us. So we have no. Wow. Hope. That's, yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah. So Melman, who again is head of Let Us Entertain You, he ends up getting you into Ed Debevich, right? Yes. And he really wanted me to be, because he just thought, you know, my sunny personality. And I had waited on so many tables. It was crazy. And so he said, will you please be kind of the front of the house and, and host and be a hostess there? And that's how it started. And then a year later, I think they were opening one in Beverly Hills. And I said, well, it's time for me to go because there just was nothing. Because I'm too damn cold. And yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. So at that point, I had always wanted to go to New York and I always wanted to be on the Broadway. But at this point, I didn't know anyone in New York. And my best friend was already in L.A. And that's Gina Madsen. Right. And she was doing very well. I decided to go there because at least I would have some I'd have a job. A, and B, I would also have someone there to be supportive, even though there was nothing that she could do for me, you know, uh, on, on the business end. But on the personal end, she was there to support. And so there I was in L.A. with the job. Yeah, you were you were there in L.A. with the job. But the next part of your story is the thing that really gets me going. When one thing leads to another leads to another. So you're in the refrigerator and they get Ed DeBevix and then Ed DeBevix takes you to Ed DeBevix in L.A. And then you're waiting tables in L.A. Yes. And who comes to your table? But the Fonz. That's correct. You're waiting on the Fonz. Yes. All right. So t and and tell me how this plays out because I mean obviously we know that you have this incredible personality, this very again I can't really describe the sort of energy <laughs> that comes out of you. But tell me about the tell me first of all what did he order and how did this conversation end up with you getting a part? Well, first of all, I everybody uh, that worked at especially at the LA at the Beverly Hills at DeBevix actually had to audition and were actors, writers, directors, things like that. And I didn't have to audition because I had already been in Chicago and everything was fine. And so everybody had, a, you know, what they called their Ed's names. So there was like Maybelline and Toots and this and that. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to change my name. You've already got it. Rusty right. is already it. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so I decided that I was going to be Ed the Bevic's sister, Rusty the Bevic, coming in from Chicago. Oh right? my God, that is amazing. <laughs> so there I was with the Chicago accent. So I would walk up to people and I'd be like, how you doing, honey? Okay, I ain't got all day. Let's go. What do you want? You know, and Henry had two children. He has two children and they were redheads. And anytime I would see a redhead, a child especially, I would say things like, you know, you're special, even though people just think, you know, you're you're just a redhead and maybe the redheaded stepchild and a freak, but you're special. And so I did it in my Chicago way, you know, where I was like, listen, like, I'm going to tell you right now, you are super far superior than anybody else I know here in this room, you know. <laughs> and he said to me, oh, wow, are you an actress? And I said, no, honey, I've been in the plumbing business for seven years. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and so he thought that was very funny. And then he said, well, do you have a headshot and resume? 
And I went, oh yes, I absolutely do. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I broke character, everything. <laughs> now, a lot of these other people I was working with had their headshots and their resumes in their lockers and I couldn't do it. I, I just couldn't do it. It embarrassed me. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not that desperate. I'm, you know, and someone had told me earlier on desperation is the root of all unemployment. And so I decided I wasn't going to be, you know, desperate. And then Henry says, well, do me a favor, send me the headshot and resume in care of Paramount Pictures. Make sure you write a big red one on it, circle it, and it will get right to me. So of course the next day I did it. And then I get a call from him to come in to audition for he and the casting director. And it's the first time that I am on a lot, on the Paramount lot. At this point, this was four months after I had moved, I think. And I, at that time I was like, how am I gonna get my SAG card? How am I gonna get anything? This is just a catch 22. And I didn't, and, and now I look at it and go, oh my gosh, it was in no time at all. But for me, it might as well have been 25 years. And so this was the first time I saw the Hollywood sign. I thought, it's a sign. It's a sign that I see the Hollywood sign, my first audition uh, for a movie. And so I go in, I tanked it. I was so nervous. What was the movie? Do you remember what the movie was? It was called Memories of Me. Oh, okay. Because he actually cast me in it. Mm -hmm. Even though my audition was horrible, he still cast me and still would come to Ed DeBevick's and bring people like Richard Dreyfus, Billy Crystal to say hello to me. It was nuts. It was, I, I blacked it out for a bit because it was so unbelievable to me. And then little by little, by little, by little, by little, I would get a role here and there. And then after a while I could uh, stop waiting on tables, but that took another three years. That is amazing. That is an incredible and wonderful story uh, of, of rising up from, from Nutrier and into Hollywood. Folks, we are talking with Hollywood actress Rusty Schwimmer, and we're going to be back in just a moment. Friends, are you looking for a great way to show your support for Nutrier Performing Arts Stories? Well, I've now written four books, including nonfiction books about business, romance, and humor, and of course, a science fiction novel. So go to Amazon.com and type my name into that search bar. That's D-U-A-N-E, B-U-R-G-H-A-R-D, and grab yourself a great new book today. And we are back. We are talking with Rusty Schwimmer. Rusty, that was a absolutely wonderful story <laughs> about how you got started in the industry. So you have a couple of years and now you're getting the chance where you're getting parts and you are now a working actress to the point where that is what you do. Mm -hmm. At what point from there do you start to feel like I'm going to make it? This is a career. I've got the career and I'm I'm actually going to be able to make a living at that. And what was that what was that moment like for you? Oh, I can actually remember it very clearly. It wasn't until 1994. I had just finished A Little Princess with the, the great Alfonso Cuaron directing. And I was going to my sister's wedding in Minnesota. And it was the first time that I could 
rent a car because it was the first time I had a credit card. And I remember renting the car at Minneapolis airport to go up north where my sister's wedding was. And all of a sudden it hit me like uh, like a big ton of bricks. So much so that I started having like intense crying jags of happiness and relief. And I had to pull over. That's that's wonderful. That's when I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I love moments like that. Yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing. And all of a sudden, uh, it had been raining and all of a sudden this the sun came out. It was <laughs> crazy. It was the nuts. sun bathes the car in light and there's a, it's a sign. It's another sign. And then music like, oh. And you yeah. haven't even gotten to the, the big part of your career at that point. You're really mm-hmm. just kind of at this birthplace. Yes. So you end up in some pretty big movies like Twister, Perfect Storm, yes. Runaway Jury. Was that at that point, you've got an agent, you're going out for these roles. Talk to us a little bit about how I, I want to bring it back to New Trier for just a moment. Yes. Tell us about your experience at New Trier and how that was formative for you and helped you when you finally get to this I guess, magic part of your career. Yeah. Well, as, as everybody knows, Nutrier is huge and in it, in itself is a, is a small town. And I say this to so many younger actors that I talk to her from the North shore, particularly from Nutrier. And I always say this very trite saying, but it'll say everything, which is if you can survive Nutrier, you can survive Hollywood. And I'll expound on that. When you're auditioning, you're auditioning with people. I remember when I started New Trier, I was a little jockette and a singer, but I always wanted to be an actor because Carol Burnett was everything to me and I wanted to be Carol Burnett. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to, it, I don't want to interrupt you, but it's hard to understate, I think, the influence that Carol Burnett had yes. on millions of people, but also yes. on the Nutria theater community in particular. It's funny how often our conversations come back to, you know, I was going to go out with a girl on Saturday night or the guy with on Saturday night, but Carol Burnett was on. That's exactly it. <laughs> and so I had to schedule my date around. This. That's absolutely true. I scheduled my babysitting around it. Yep. Yeah, I did. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it's fantastic. So with that, I enter Nutria and the people that I was auditioning Uh, against and with had already had training some of them since they were three years old and here we are at 14 15 years old and I hadn't had any training I had just been in like a couple of school plays that was it and uh, there was I mean no training whatsoever and so I thought oh geez I gotta I gotta catch up you know uh, I was busy playing softball and tennis and now I've got to start acting and the competition was intense, man. It was intense. You would hear outside of M284, you would hear somebody singing or somebody acting and you were like, ah, I can't do that. And then those brutal callbacks where you're you're doing it in front of everyone. Brutal. Yeah. Uh, so brutal to the point where I was like, it's unfair. This is horrible. This is traumatic. <laughs> that in combination with the discipline was so intense, really set me up really well for a career in acting, very much so. Well, friends, it's happened again. I was having way too much fun and not paying attention to the clock at all. So 
Once again, we're going to have to pause and get to the rest of this interview next week. As always, this episode of New Trier Performing Art Stories is a copyrighted production of Narratives, LLC. It is written, directed, produced, and edited, in this case, with a lot of laughter, by yours truly, Dwayne Burkhardt. If you have comments or suggestions, please email info at NutrierPADStories.com. A reminder for those in the Nutrier area that the 41st annual Frank Mantooth Jazz Festival will take place on Saturday, February 3rd, at 7 p.m. in the legendary Gaffney Auditorium on the Winnetka campus. Please join us next week for part two of my interview with the hilarious and wonderful TV and film actress, Rusty Schwimmer. Until then, as always, thanks for listening. Please hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time.